Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Today's podcast is sponsored by Manscaped. You know that feeling when you drive down a nice neighborhood and you see that one beautiful lawn perfectly trimmed? What must it feel like to come home to that lawn, knowing the work you've put into it and the pride that comes with that? Well, the same can apply to your body. Keeping yourself properly trimmed and smelling great not only gives you the confidence to step up when you need to, it might surprise and delight your partner. So use Manscaped. Manscaped is the official sponsor of our podcast, and it's number one in men's below-the-belt grooming. The Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary skin-safe technology so you won't nick or snag your nuts. That's fun to say. And don't use the same trimmer on your nuts that you use on your face because... Let's be honest, that's kind of gross. So right now, you get 20% off with free shipping by using the code armchair at manscaped.com. That's armchair. Always use the right tools for your family jewels. Your balls will thank you. You are listening to The Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. For more on your Pelicans, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Good evening and welcome um, to this edition of The Bird Calls. I'm David Grubb and I'm hosting along with our editor-in-chief, Ali Cosell, and contributor to The Bird Rights, uh, David Fisher. I'm sorry if I'm trying to search for a tone. Uh, It's just, as you all know, it's been a very difficult day uh, for basketball fans, um, sports fans, people. Um, The loss of Kobe Bryant tragically in a um, helicopter accident along with his daughter and um, we're still getting an exact number of individuals. Um, There are numbers that are ranging from five to nine and certainly we hope that there's as those families are notified that there's more accurate information but um, clearly the loss of Kobe Bryant is something that uh, basketball fans of any number of ages are dealing with Uh, certainly uh, at 41 a very young man um, had not yet even reached his Hall of Fame vote, which was to happen this year. So, um, you know, this is a contemporary. This is a person who his name carries a lot of relevance in the league. Uh, Ali, you were at the Smoothie King Center today uh, for the reaction of Pelicans fans, uh, for basketball fans in the in the arena, and just for yourself. Can you describe um, your thoughts and and the and the setting? Um, that, that that was there in the arena today. Yeah, so everything, of course, was first um, immense sadness and then confusion because I don't know if anybody else noticed. I'm sure you guys did. But on Twitter, we were getting messages saying that the NBA was going to cancel all the games today. So I didn't even know if I should be headed to the arena at first. But we eventually found out that there indeed was going to be all the games played on today's slate. And so once I got there, it was obvious just the demeanor of everybody was somber uh, to downright some people just being crestfallen to the point of where tears, you know, they couldn't help it. Myself, I mean, a few times I I cried today. So 
Alvin Gentry, um, Andrew Smith, our buddy, who's a photographer for Bourbon Street Shots. He kept on having to walk off the court. He's normally the photographer, had to walk away. So that, that, that was just pretty much, you know, the scene up until tip-off. Um, everybody recollecting, couldn't believe it, you know, and of course, adding his daughter to, and what David, I think it is, it, it's nine dead. I think it's been confirmed. It went from five to nine. Um, so yeah, I mean, I don't have much to add other than I of course loved watching him and his career, his highlights. I was fortunate enough to watch his full, you know, 20 year career from the 81 point game to the five championships, all those game winners, the dunks, you know, it was all great, but I loved his will to win more than anything. And my favorite player of all time is Michael Jordan. And I don't think there's been anybody that's come closer to exhibiting all those type of traits, especially from playing at the same position as Kobe. But as I wrote in the game thread, I didn't write a typical game thread. I quickly put together half an hour was my favorite Kobe memory highlight. And it's actually goes back to 2004 before Katrina, where my best friend and I had just recently moved to New Orleans. And uh, we were there waiting to just catch a glimpse of him. And we saw him walking back in the tunnel after pregame. And my friend, uh, he's from Italy, so Italian's his native tongue, but we couldn't get close enough. But he smartly started speaking Italian to Kobe, and Kobe just stopped, smiled, and made a point to come over to Christian. And they engaged in a really awesome two-minute conversation. So I feel like that's my favorite memory because Christian had also suffered a lot of personal grief in his life. He had lost his mom and his sister when he was 13, and that was the main reason why he left Italy, to escape those horrors. And Kobe was one of the best highlights of his life. I, I mean, when and Christian would tell me this year after year, right? We somehow get back to that topic every now and then. So that was a really bright spot for him. So that's 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 what I'm taking away. Kobe touched a lot of lives. Yeah, he was fantastic on a basketball court. He's one of the best basketball minds I think we've ever had, right, guys? But it's it's the stuff that he did off the court, and I think that's what I really truly want to remember and celebrate. And David, I I saw your little message that Kobe gave to Natalia. I mean, that's just a perfect, you know, just a little glimpse into the way Kobe really was as a human being. Yeah. Um, Fish, I'll let you go ahead. And um, with any thoughts that you have on. Man, um, when the news came down, I mean, I was, I was just hanging out here at home with my family. I think probably for the next hour and a half, I ended up just sitting on the couch with my daughter. She was, she she was prepping for um, we're going to Disney and I was chatting with Preston at the time and so she was watching something that she can't wait to do at Disney and she said to me she's six and she's like dad I don't want you watching this and I'm like I'm not watching it honey I just want to sit here and have my arm around you after hearing the news um interesting enough to me my most vivid Kobe memory would be the 2010 Western Conference Finals, which also also featured current Pelicans head coach um, Alvin Gentry. Um, for me, it was a time of transition. I had just moved here to New Orleans from Chicago. And I remember for pretty much that entire series, um, I'd only been here for like six weeks. Um, other people that um, were in the unit that I transferred down here with, with the Navy, they were, you know, trying to help me get acclimated and things like that. So every night, pretty much of the series, we were going, you know, to this guy's apartment or this guy's house with his family, um, watching each game of that series. And that was, that was a tremendous Kobe series. I mean, it was a great series for both teams. Um, 
obviously the Lakers came ahead and eventually, you know, won the title that year. But um, <clears throat> that was, that was an incredible, that was, it wasn't like peak Kobe because I mean, he was, he was getting up there in age a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, I know the both of you, when they're flashing this thing up and they're talking about guys born like in the late seventies at this point, it starts to really get you close to home. I know you grub as a father of a daughter and myself. I mean, we're talking about people who are quite literally our contemporaries, people who, who are within a couple eight years one way or another. And to think as young as I feel, and Kobe's only a couple years older than I am. And for his life to be cut short now with, you know, his, his daughter is in, is in the helicopter. And then he still has three young daughters at home. One of which I think I saw one report. Um, she yeah, was, she's she not was, a year old yet. She's only Maybe. seven months old. Like mm-hmm. it's <clears throat> like a lot of people are talking about Kobe Bryant, the basketball player. And there's, there's a lot there, but to me, and maybe it was just my circumstance at the moment when I found out that, you know, I'm just hanging out with my family. It was, it was far more about just the the loss of a human being and thinking about what that does to a family. Um, and just imagining like, what if, what if that was something that happened to my family, the like, I'm I'm taking my daughter to Taekwondo or something and my wife, you know, gets a call later that, you know, we'd been in some terrible car wreck or something like that. That that was that was pretty much the only thing I could focus on was 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 family at that point. Um David, real quick, I, I just wanted to point out because I, I didn't even get to it because my mind is so scatterbrained. So I want to also let you guys know if you listen to the Press conferences, post game, pre game. Alvin Gentry just didn't feel like talking about basketball, the game before or after. He was really choked up by it. He's got a lot of personal um, memories, uh, exclusive, you know, just with Kobe Bryant and, and a lot of experiences they share. But also, I wanted to mention the three Lakers. Brandon Ingram is always the most jovial Pelican before a game. He is up there slapping, high fiving all of us, including me. He'll, you know, he'll dap you right before a game. Not today. He had his head down walking out of the locker room business he, he, he was a strictly focused on the task at hand alvin told us these guys it, it was really hard on him to go through this today lonzo ball same thing and josh hart he sat on the bench during pregames for at least half of it for at least 15 minutes he had his head down you know 10 minutes maybe something like that so i just want to let you know it, it affected everybody so it's really amazing to me to see how honestly this team played tonight so sorry david just wanted to get that in there because i didn't before um i just I'll just do it like this because um, I'm going to try to bring it back up so we can discuss the game of basketball. So there's always my connection with to Kobe Bryant exists beyond basketball through my daughter. Um, and on Twitter today, I posted this brief message. It's like seven seconds long that Kobe did his last game in New Orleans. Um, like we're talking and um, – you know, like we're just talking about being dads and, and I, at the time I'm coaching my little girl um, and she's just calling herself the pink mamba. And, you know, I'm just talking about that. And my daughter, Natalia, I actually got that name from, he has his second oldest child. Her name is Natalia. 
And when my wife and I found out that we were having a child, at first, all my names were boy names because I was like any other guy. You think, well, I'm going to have a boy. And so when the doctor told us we were having a girl, the boy names were all in names for some reason. I had Nicholas was a name I had really focused on. So I wanted to stick with an N for some reason. And Kobe's daughter, Natalia, inspired that name for me. So fast forward to that meeting, and I'm telling Kobe that I have a daughter named Natalia who plays basketball. And, I, and he says, oh, that's cool, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I said, well, you know, she would really like it if you'd say something to her. And he says, yeah, no problem. And he gives me this little message. My daughter, for the years since, and this is, I guess, yeah, five years now. So this is in the years since, she still loves it. She still asked me to pull it up so she can watch it. And the funny thing is the day that she was born, May 29th, 2008, the Lakers are playing the Spurs in the NBA playoffs. My wife goes into labor a little bit early because we were supposed to induce a couple days later. So she was getting a a C-section that night. And the Lakers game is on while we're sitting there waiting for the doctors to prep her. I'm telling my wife, I said, if the Lakers lose, Natalia's staying in there until the next game. And because I was rooting for Kobe and he had 39 that night um, and the Lakers won the game. And so my daughter was born that day and there were only two other games that they played um, in the rest of his career on that day. And they won both of those games. So they were undefeated on my daughter's birthday. And so that'll always be that like extra connection between me, my daughter and Kobe Bryant. So that's beautiful. man. um, Thank you. But yeah, it's so, so that's, I'll try to bring it back up on that high note, on a good note um, for those guys who did know him well um, and for the team in general to see the Pelicans come back and get their first win um, with Zion Williamson on the court, uh, beating the Celtics today, 123, 108, very solid game for the most part for the Pelicans. They did a double digit lead in the second half, almost a 20 point lead in the second half, um, but did come back and extend that lead back to 15 late. Um, Zion Williamson gets his first double-double with 21 and 11. Um, there were still some, you could still see, he played his most minutes, 27 minutes. Lonzo Ball, eight points, 15 assists, only three turnovers. Derek Favors, another double-double. He only played 27 minutes, but was very effective. Saw a good second half out of guys like um, Josh Hart. Uh, Brandon Ingram closed well after struggling through the first three quarters. Uh, So a good all-around effort for the team. J.J. Redick looked great. Fish, let's start with you. What did you like the most about this game besides um, Zion getting his minutes and doing what he does? What did you see from the rest of the guys this this afternoon, this evening, that that, uh, you you thought uh, worked well? The thing that, that excited me the most about this entire game was the fact that Gentry, with four minutes and 30 seconds to go in the fourth quarter, went back to his starters and didn't go small and played Zion Williamson besides Derek Favors. Because that was the, I, w- I would say my biggest concern philosophically with Alvin Gentry in the short term is the fact that he always wants to go small. And we saw Zion Williamson as your center is kind of a disaster defensively for the past three games. Now, a lot of that's because they're not giving him a whole lot of help because they're surrounding him with tiny guys that don't rebound. 
Um, that was something that destroyed them in the Denver game. But with four minutes and 30 seconds left, Zion Williamson checks in for Josh Hart. They go back to the starters, who, in my opinion, are their best five basketball players, and they just choke the life out of the game. And that's that was so exciting for me to see. And maybe maybe what it is, my my aversion to Alvin Gentry philosophically for him always going small is the fact that going small in his Pelican coaching career was just him getting the best five best players on the floor. Um, right. And now, and now you look at this team and he sees what what he sees what I see, or I'm, maybe I'm completely wrong in how I'm going about it, but he sees those five as the best five players. And so he went back to it. And that is such a huge thing for me for the rest of this season is I want to see how those five guys play and especially how Zion Williams play Zion Williamson plays as a power forward. Can he, because if he's going to play for both starting the game and finishing the game, He's going to have to chase around, you know, stretch fours and small forwards who have bumped down. And you saw, um, not, I mean, not to just harp on how awesome Zion was this game, but Boston did a thing and where Marcus Smart was their primary defender of Zion Williamson. And typically, Marcus Smart is strong enough and built like a fire hydrant where, yeah, he can play power forward defensively. And uh, a game that sticks out to me on that is he was guarding Paul Millsap, and Paul Millsap couldn't move him when Paul Millsap was with Atlanta. Zion Williamson got wherever he wanted to get to, even when Marcus Smart was guarding him. In, In situations where Zion Williamson could be the first guy down the floor, he was putting him underneath the basket, and he wanted the ball and Lonzo was getting him the ball. So that was one way where you, you can still kind of work, even though you're lacking traditional spacing because you're playing two traditional – well, Zion's not a traditional big man, but you're playing two big men instead of you know going with the four out and one roller. Um, but just Gentry going to back to that starting lineup and trusting favors to be able to make it work, that was that was a huge thing for me in terms of where is this team going? Because it wasn't like Boston was playing two bigs at that point either. Boston was largely playing a small lineup. And still he said, no, I'm going to my best five guys and we're just going to beat you because our five is better than your five. That that was that was the biggest thing to me tonight. Ali, um, I thought it was uh... – you know, that was one of the big question marks was could that front court with Williamson and Favors occupy um, the same space offensively as well as defensively? I thought they did a very good job defensively, um, and I don't think there was a problem spacing-wise on the offensive end. How did you think that they functioned, those two functioned when they were on the court off, on the offensive end? They complement each other right now more so than um, maybe what people would coin as, you know, occupying the same space as David's clearly just stated. Look, Derek Favors is the team's defensive anchor and backbone. And when Zion has been entrusted with the five, we've seen in the previous two games, 
defaults to where, okay, yeah, in that 17-point burst, he scored on six straight possessions. That was great. That was wonderful. That's going to be something nobody forgets for a very long time. But the fact of the matter is five of those following six possessions for the Celtics, they, or excuse me, the Spurs, they scored, scored as well. And we saw it again tonight. Immediately when Zion went to the five, I felt like then Boston was just getting dunks at the rim unabated where Williamson was either missing a rotation to help out or whatever. He was out of place. The Pelicans' defense was completely breaking down. So, yeah, David, hats off. I'm so glad you broached that topic. I think that for the meantime, they're going to be fine. Even though Zion doesn't possess the three ball, that doesn't matter because this guy can start from the perimeter but still get to the rim or catch it quickly in the post and make a move before the defense can react, before suddenly you're worried about those double teams. If they're not doubling right from the jump, then that double is going to be too late. I think we saw that a few times tonight. So I have no concerns about that. I just wanted to also add my biggest takeaway real quick was the simple fact that the team came up with incredible energy. You know, they, they their focus was a little questionable, and you don't blame them, right? They missed 10 free throws. They had 18 turnovers. And that admittedly led Boston in back into the game a few times, especially in that third quarter. But they, they, they kept on getting after it. And that one possession sticks out to me. They grabbed either, it was either five or six offensive rebounds that finally wound up being a Josh Hart corner three. I think that exemplified their effort tonight, and that's exactly what they needed to do. So, yeah, I, I, hats off. You can't really complain too much about the negatives because they did what they needed to do. That was win, and they came out with the energy that was required. And considering this somber day, like I said, hats off. Gambling. It's not the most prevalent of topics at the family barbecue, but the truth is it can be quite fun. Picking a couple of friends to play some friendly wagers before a game can immediately raise the stakes and make your Sundays even more exhilarating. And that's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it, where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. Football fans, you can even bet after kickoff. So if it looks like your bet is fading, just take the other side. If you like to bet a lot, try a parlay. You can multiply your winnings and brag to your friends as the money rolls in. But now is the best time to join because MyBookie will double your first deposit. Use promo code CHAIR to activate the offer. That's promo code CHAIR. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. Okay, let's let's look at these three games in there as a group then. Um, because we have to look at this in the context of of Zion completely because he changed, he dramatically changes each one of these three outcomes um, because of a, how the medical staff has, has forced Alvin to deal with him. Uh, we saw some let up of that today, but in the scope of the way that they've played these three games overall, do you feel like you've learned what you've wanted to learn thus far, or are there still holes in the information that you'd expect to have in this short sample? Um, Ali, I'll start with you on that one. Well, there's obviously still holes, right? Because number one for me, the biggest issue is Brandon Ingram. He's just been unable to get going offensively. where he's not even getting, I feel like, the shot attempts. At one point, Drew had 18 shot attempts to Ingram's nine. You know, in previous games, Ingram was also getting a little bit of double, and he was saying he didn't really have the play to make. So therefore, he was, you know, um, diver- you know, given basically the reins to somebody else at the time. And I think that's troubling considering how well he has played from the start of the season where he's been one of the most consistent 20-point scores, both in terms of the, the total, of course, and the efficiency. But that efficiency has dwindled of late. And I was looking, I think he may be hitting a wall. So either way, I'm a little worried because in the last six games, outside of that 49 outburst he had, 
49 point outburst against the Jazz. He has been trending downwards. And it, now, of course, it's coinciding with Zion's return. So is Zion also taking away? Or, or is it, obviously, there's some kinks to be worked out. Or is Brandon Ingram just hitting, a, you know, basically a little bit of a wall here before the All-Star break? But either way, David, there's a few other things, right? I mean, today, I think we finally saw what we want to see Lonzo ball, right? And that's, of course, dictating a lot of the offense. That's why he set a new career high, 15 assists. So he's even tossing assists to Zion from out of bounds at half court for an alley-oop dunk, right? So he can find him, and you want that connection to just keep growing. Because if there's anybody in this league that could get Zion those easy buckets, it, it's, of course, Zoe. So that's one thing I think that, of course, his coaching staff wants to move forward with. Everything else, of course, is going to work itself out. But you're right. Three games is not enough of an evaluation period to say, okay, for instance, today I was asked, you know, on TV interview, which moves do you think the Pelicans should make in a trade if they want to still battle for the playoffs? And it's hard to say, right? Because if these guys are all healthy, they've already got enough choices. I mean, Alvin's already got enough players, I feel like, that all deserve minutes. So I really can't see who you need to add. So, yeah, David, long story short, the evaluation process is just getting underway. And we probably won't know on what this team honestly needs to start looking like until well after the trade deadline. Yeah, I think that um, when we look at Brandon Ingram, it it has, you know, people are starting only to look like, like you said, these last three games, and they're saying, oh, Brandon Ingram and Zion can't work together. When I'm looking at the shots where Brandon Ingram is taking them, in the game against San Antonio, um, you and I noticed this, Ollie, that he was pulling up early and shooting some threes above the break. Mm -hmm. um, which were they were very early in the shot clock. And I thought those were bad choices on his part. But he missed a lot of shots in the mid-range against San Antonio shots he would normally take. Um, I think the last two games, he may not have been as aggressive today. Again, how does it work in the emotions of what went on today for him? I don't know. So it's a hard game to judge everyone in that regard, I think. Um, but yes, I think Brandon is hitting a wall. He's playing the same minutes that he's played over the course of his career, um, from last year, but this is when he went down last year, basically. This is when his injury took place. So you're talking about a guy who had missed his off-season conditioning, who has been taking on this load um, both physically and emotionally for the, for the Pelicans um, as the leader while Zion was out, take, as the, score, the scoring guy, but also the guy who shouldered the burden of running the offense when Drew was gone and when, when Lonzo wasn't playing well. So I think that that's, there is a certain wall that he's hitting because he's still getting opportunities. He's still getting to the free throw line. So I think that, we're, you know, if he weren't doing those things, I would say that he's, that there's a problem with him and his compatibility. But I think more so it's just a guy who's struggling to find his rhythm with his shot again. Um, but Fish, um, as you look at these three games, what are the things that you've taken away and, as encouraging signs? And I think the most glaring thing that I think we would all say is defensively, where those issues that the Pelicans have to shore up when Zion is on the court and still with Jackson Hayes. Yeah. Um, first, I want to jump back on the the Ingram Zion fit, which was I saw a play today, about two minutes left in the fourth. Boston had cut the lead back down to single digits. Um, the Pelicans got a switch and they had a mismatch for Brandon Ingram on the right mid range area. For, you know, a, kind of like a high post kind of catch foul line extended. And he caught the ball and immediately as he began to face up, Marcus Smart darts across from the weak side to come double to force the ball out of this, his hands. And that's something we kind of need to touch on more with 
how Ingram and Zion fit is Ingram's seen more double teams in the past couple weeks. People are decided we're going to make somebody else other than Brandon Ingram beat us because he's been beating teams. Um, Ingram immediately looks over to the weak side where the double came from. Zion and Ingram make eye contact. They had a couple different replays on this after the game. And quick pass. Um, Zion gets the catch, goes up, gets the dunk, gets uh, fouled. I believe it was by Kemba Walker. And it was just a beautiful, quick read um, that is the kind of thing that you really want to see out of Ingram and how he fits with Zion and how both of them identified it and identified it quickly. And that, that was something that was very promising to me. Now, defensively, with Zion at center, it is a disaster. It is a complete disaster. Um, I don't think it's a matter of Zion isn't a smart basketball player or that he's not athletic enough or his conditioning. It is not any of those things. It's that big man defense in the NBA is multiple levels above anything that you do in college. There are so many wrong choices that you can make defensively as a big man when you're guarding the pick and roll. And right now, Zion is just making all of the wrong decisions. And that's fine because he's 19 years old and he's played 65 or 66 minutes in the NBA. And it's going to take time. But that's one of the things where I say the more we can get him linked up with favors. And I, I do believe, and I know the the lineup data set tells us you know, in the brief times that we've seen Zion with four guards, that they're probably lighting teams on fire. Um, oh, I do no. think defensively. Are you talking about offensively or defensively? Offensively. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about offensively and like the general like net rating. I think Preston said some uh, sent up something where he's just posting like a plus fifty two net rating or something, which I think is more because there's been hot shooting and also Zion's scored 17 points mm-hmm. on six possessions exactly which is a massive portion of that sample at this point um <clears throat> i think number one i mean hayes still has a ways to go as well but i the, the one thing the biggest concerning thing that i've seen rotationally and defensively and things like that is that suddenly there is seems to be a substantial lack of trust in Jackson Hayes that I thought he had already built up and earned over the previous 15, 16 games before Zion came back. I mean, we've seen Melly log a handful of minutes here, a handful of minutes there. We've seen Okafor log a couple minutes against, um, um, against Jokic in the Denver game. And some of that's still Gentry trying to figure it out. Because he has, I mean, he has 12 guys on the roster right now that at some point this season, when the team was successful, were in the rotation. And he has to, he has to manage that a little bit. And you can tell he has, he has his seven guys, right? He has the starting lineup and Redick and Hart off the bench. He trusts those seven. That is the foundation of the rotation. But when you're going to play Redick and each one more and this is going to be the time where we get frank jackson six or seven minutes because we want a jitterbug to stay in front of 
Lou Williams or Kemba Walker or whatever point guards out there. You don't have any rebounding either. Zion Williamson right now is less of a guy who rebounds by the book and boxes out and finds a body and more someone who is just used to the ball comes off the rim and I go get it and it doesn't matter. Well, in the NBA, it's, I mean, he's still the one of the best athletes on the floor, but if the ball doesn't come your way, it's not like college. You can't just go get it through all these other bodies. That's something we saw in the Denver game um, with those tiny lineups where Denver's shooting two, three, four times a trip. And that's, I mean, if and I know we don't want to talk too much about trades, but that's one of the things that I would say. Fish, I need you to keep on this topic, though. We, we stand okay. on this. We're just talking about these three games. Let's not go off. We're going too off topic on this. Okay, so just just on topic on these three games. Defensively, Zion at center has been terrible. Playing sm- very small lineups against him has highlighted his weaknesses and not accented his strengths defensively. And I think the Pelicans would be very much better served if they got some of those minutes with Jackson Hayes. And you can you can play Hayes and Williamson together. I think that's something that they need to explore because they're both on rookie contracts for the next four years. Unless you're planning on moving Hayes sometime, you need to start feeling out how those two guys fit and what better time to fill that out than three or four minutes at the beginning of the second and the fourth quarter. I don't know about putting them together defensively for stretches because Hayes looked awful today defensively. It, it, it's it's getting to the, be the point now. It looks like he's going backwards as far as paying attention. The fouls he picked up today were both really bad in my opinion. Just I just I was really disappointed at how lazily he picked up those fouls, and he refuses to box out. He refuses to do it. He just won't. And Ali, we talked. And the coaching staff is concerned about him paying attention. And it just seems like at some point, Jackson has to decide it's not good enough to be the smiling, happy-go-lucky. And I know they're still rookies. But it's it, at some point, if he wants to get these minutes and if he wants to help this team win, he's got to focus on defense. And he's not. that's going to be the thing that keeps him on the court for the first four or five years of his career. It's not – he can't just get these dunks in, the, in transition. Ali, what are your thoughts on that? Because I think it's getting to be a problem with Jackson again. No, it is. And he's still going to make playing mistakes. He's going to make mistakes at least for next season and maybe two seasons down the road. But I want to point out the fact that I don't think he's got the size to do what we want him to do. I saw twice today where he was fighting for position, and he got called for fouls because he couldn't box out, David. And I think, first of all, this is a team-wide problem. It's not just Jackson. It is. It is a team. You were right. On box outs, that's a team problem. Yes. Yeah, it, it's a huge problem. And the coaching staff knows it. They've told us this, you know, off-camera, pre-game, post-game and stuff. So it is a team problem. But they did a much better tonight because they were a lot more aggressive. It wasn't just Josh Hart for a change, just rebounding when Zion wasn't out there. But for Jackson, I think he's just going to have to get the strength. The game is still moving fast for him. Outside of where he can be on – offense and in transition on a few plays other than that i still feel like he's he's lost he's really lost he is better than currently zion is in pick and roll coverage he's a much better help defender currently 
Um, I feel like he does some things well already, so I want to give him some credit, like I said. For instance, I think he does a great job of staying on his feet, right? So yeah, when, he when, does when do that, going yes. up, He's not biting on ball fakes like typically rookies do. Um, it took Anthony Davis years to do that. So Jackson, yeah, I mean, he, he's of course he's going to be a work in project. He's 19. He's played so little basketball, competitive basketball. But I'm with David. I, I wouldn't mind that you keep throwing him out there. You give him those minutes because that's the only way you're going to learn. Just like for Zion, it's important for him to be on the court to get into game shape. Those four-minute bursts in the first game, which told 16 minutes, that didn't do anybody any good. But granted, they're moving along because he's held on. Same thing with Jackson. For him, I think, to take those next steps, David, that we all want to see, he's got to be thrown out there. And, and I'm glad that you know Gentry keeps still going to him instead of, like, say, Jilly Okafor, or just going strictly small ball when Favors isn't out there. Okay, I'm sorry for that. We got uh, disconnected momentarily. But we were discussing Drew Holiday and his performance um, against Boston. Um, Fisher, you were saying that you were really impressed with his the, his attacking at the basket and how that also impacted um, Lonzo Ball's performance as well, you thought. Yeah, because we saw more, how to say, shooting guard Drew Holiday today. He wasn't necessarily the initiator. Sometimes he connected possessions. Um, I mean, he still managed to rack up five assists, but a lot of his, uh, almost all of his two-point attempts were at the basket. He was getting all the way to the basket when he attacked. Um, we saw fewer of the, I've jumped and I don't know, and I don't have somebody to pass it to. What do I do? Uh, turnover. We had fewer of those today. And, and that's what, I think when we talked about what peak Drew looked like, it was less he's a point guard and more he's a short slasher. And he was just attacking. Today he had three ball rolling. I don't I don't think we should expect him to shoot four for eight behind the arc every game. But <clears throat> I, I expect him to finish at the basket pretty much as well as he did today. And as long as he's getting himself all the way to the basket and, and scoring, that's, that's what we need to see. We saw quite a bit of Drew making demonstrative faces at the officials because he felt like he was getting bumped and they were letting a lot of contact go. But that's, that's, that's the Drew Holiday we want to see on both ends. And yeah, Kemba Walker had a, had a good game and he had good big numbers, but at the same time, you look at how Drew was defending him. I don't feel like Drew was make, was giving Walker easy buckets. And I think a lot of, not just Walker's buckets, but all of the Boston baskets that came at the rim were just complete defensive breakdowns that you hope with experience will be um, remedied. But that was, that was a today was a great Drew game, a better game than the game where he got on fire and was burying all those threes. This is the Drew that we need. Uh, when we talk about Lonzo, one of the things that was interesting today for me was that, you know, we had already discussed before um, what I felt was Lonzo and Zion's natural connection for each other. We continue to see their their affinity for each other um, offensively, but I think what we also saw is. And Fisher touched on this earlier was just about how Lonzo was able to get the ball to Zion in quick post situations at the front of the rim. He gets a tremendous back-to-back lob situations with favors where he can finish at the rim um, and use his size. And then we also saw Lonzo creating opportunities 
for JJ. We saw him make that mistake where he should have followed JJ down on the layup and been in position to get a rebound. But on the next possession, he plays good defense, gets the ball, drives to the basket, kicks it out to JJ for a three, and that sparked a Pelicans run. Um, he was really decisive in his um, uh, playmaking today, didn't turn it over, but was still also attacking the basket. I think it, it, Lonzo didn't put up a bunch of points for himself, but this was one of his best floor games of the season. No, I agree. And what was interesting is he actually started off the game hot where he made two three-pointers early for the Pelicans. And then, of course, the scoring died off. He, I don't think he hit another three after those two for the rest of the game. But as you just mentioned, what he did is he played the four game in helping Zion get those easy buckets. He had eight assists alone in the fourth quarter. And I want to say at least three or four of them went to Zion. And I'd be curious to see after the game just how many were assisted to Zion. We've, David, we've talked about this chemistry building up between these two ad nauseum since uh, the preseason, and it's only growing. And you always remarked, even though during those bad times with Lonzo, just wait till Zion gets back. He needs Zion just as much as uh, Zion's probably going to need him. And so we're seeing that connection, and it's growing, and it's beautiful because in the past, earlier this season, I'm talking about, it was either the Drew Holiday or Brandon Ingram show for the Pelicans to get points when they were not getting the easy ones in transition. Lonzo Ball has now become, or he's becoming more comfortable in the role of finding the open guys. He's still not driving like you like, right? I think he ended up with one shot inside the three-point arc, which was a great drive at the rim, scored on a tough lay-in. But that was the only one I can recall. So that game, is, of course, is still growing for him, that confidence and all that. But, of course, the most important thing is getting your beast going, which is Zion, and he just looks unstoppable. So... That looks like the surefire way of getting points for the Pelicans is if Brandon Ingram and Drew aren't um, knocking him down, got got the game going like Drew was today during the third quarter, or you're not hitting from the outside, then I think every time you've got to think, hey, get the ball in Zoe's hand. Because he was a big responsible, or was really responsible for Zion having that 17-point scoring burst, right, in his debut to where he made sure that he got those touches real quick back to Zion, even if he got the ball back from Zion. I thought that was great. So, yeah, David, he, he's still grown. I mean, he's got what now, 120 games under his belt? I don't even know. And most of them haven't been confident. They haven't been good minutes for him where it's aided his development. But now I think they are, and we're seeing that growth. Yeah, I want to jump in. Can I jump in on that? Because I saw a number of drives, even today in this game, that Ball didn't even get a shot attempt. But he went into a big man got contact, got that big man out of position with the contact, and then set up favors, I think, at least once, yep. maybe twice, with assists. Um, the and then there was quarter. the bump for the, the layup that um, that Ollie was was mentioning. We ha- he When he is driving to the basket, I've seen in the past like week and a half, two weeks, he is not shying away from contact. He is going into it. He is welcoming it. And he's either finishing through it or it's creating shots for others. And that is a huge thing. And I don't know if that's a thing where his confidence in his free throw shooting has gotten him to the point where he's not terrified of getting fouled and having to be sent to the foul line. So he's not avoiding that contact or just a coaching thing where they're telling him the advantage is go into their body. You're a six foot six, big point guard relish this, but that has been a huge thing for me watching Lonzo from 
you know, even earlier when the winning started to now he is, he's going into big men. He is creating contact deliberately and it is resulting in good shots for the Pelicans. Yeah. They, they were getting right around the rim. And like you said, Lonzo creating those opportunities. I think that he has a lot of trust and clearly he has trust in favors as well, because that second lob that he threw to him was, was behind a defender who was in front between Derek and the rim. And that lob had to be positioned perfectly. It was a late toss, but it was a perfectly thrown toss. And it was the same as the one he threw to, to Zion um, in the second half as well, where it was pinned almost right to the, you know, to the side of the rim where only that person was like a, a quarterback saying only my guy will get it or no one gets it. And those were some great um, precision passes that Lonzo mm-hmm. has when he has that going. It's something that that's just a very unique um, part to an offense that most teams don't have. They're just throws that he can make that other point guards just aren't willing to try or don't trust their bigs to, to complete. And with Favors and Zion, I think he figures his margin of error is even wider than it needs to be, and he's precise um, on his own. So it's just it just seems it's only going to get better. Um, Alvin Gentry had been questioned a lot for his rotations. I think Fisher made some great comments on, on him bringing it back to the starters, but there are a lot of our listeners who are still questioning the motivation and how much control Gentry has of this lineup since Zion has returned. Ali, can you talk about what you've um, heard from Alvin? Cause I know we've listened to him talk about this and you and I get this perspective, but I don't think a lot of the fans truly understand how limited he was in games one and two and dealing with Zion and his rotation. Yeah, there was a simple set um, restriction on exactly, not only the minutes kind of, but also how Zion was going to be deployed. And that of course was starting the first quarter um, and then the second quarter and then the third quarter. And and you just can't, and and he was told this by the uh, training staff that it just doesn't make any sense to save him for the end of the game. Cause everybody's been crying out, right? Save him for the Mm -hmm. end of the game. But yet, Alvin's not allowed to do that. That's that's the bottom line. That's coming from the training staff because they do not want Zion sitting from whenever he sits down uh, at the end of the, whatever his play in the third quarter is, which is usually what has been roughly around the eight-minute mark to then, of course, then, you, I mean, guys, what is that, 40 minutes of game time or, excuse me, real time, real time. Mm-hmm. to get towards, like, yeah, the final, you know, half of the fourth quarter. So, that, it, that, that one's simple, guys. And for anybody that keeps lashing and bashing Alvin for this, it, it's just wrong because he's, it's, it's been taken out of his hands. Fortunately, today, if you notice, Zion was brought out at the start of the fourth quarter. He, of course, he started the fourth quarter, but then he was taken out roughly about the nine-minute mark. I think it was in the eight-something. So you had a feeling and a sense that, hey, he had just played six minutes, six minutes, six minutes, roughly thereabouts in his first three bursts. Hey, it looks like he'll have another three or so because he was taken out after about three at the start of the fourth. And that's exactly what they did. So they went with five bursts tonight. And that looks like, of course, uh, there's greater flexibility. Alvin talked about how Zion looked a lot fresher. So that's one thing that was in his favor, which allowed him to bring be brought back in for that fifth burst. And moving forward, you know, the minutes are going to keep creeping up as long as there's no soreness. As long as the training staff sees all the numbers that they want on all those, you know, gizmos, whatever they're testing for, if everything keeps turning out positive, nothing's in the red, then 
I think that Alvin's going to get all that freedom that he was hoping for when he, of course, he first got him back into the lineup. One of the things that, that I'm still noticing, and I think it's pretty obvious for anybody who's paying attention, is that Zion's doing this, and you can still clearly see he's getting over the mental hurdle of knowing that his leg is okay. Because you see times when he lands, and he makes sure that he lands on the left leg, or he, he'll hop on the left leg a little bit longer before he sets down the right. When he jumps, we're not, you're starting to see that freedom once he lets go and gets up, but you're still seeing the psychology of getting him healthy. And I think that that's what fans don't understand either is that this is still a young man dealing with the first injury of his life and is still mentally processing this. And so there is a lot at play for him to be performing at this level, I think is exceptional. Um, part of that fish. Do Are you seeing that as well, that he's still trying to mentally get over the fact that he is, you know, that he's okay. <laughs> I, I see it, you know, when he's when he's landing, like you talked about. When I don't see it is the second jump. Like mm-hmm. He's so quick off the ball, off the ground. Um, there, there, there are moments where he just he sees the play that needs to be done, and his, he just execute, no thinking. And as he as he gets healthier, I think we're going to see more just that natural execute do you know jump attack whatever but i i do see a little bit of that hesitation that you're talking about and and uh the hopping and that's something that you you point out almost every single time to us in one way or another um and that's something that <coughs> since i'm watching on the broadcast it's not something that necessarily they they make a point to show because they're already trying to bounce to the highlight or to a different shot um, but where you're seeing, obviously, that's that's a focus for you where you can say, hey, you know, and, and you might see it on the side of the screen or something like that a- a- after that because it wasn't the exact play. But I'm seeing that. Um, one of the things Ollie was talking about, his minutes getting up. I mean, he played 27 tonight. Mm-hmm. How much are we really expecting him to play a night? Like right. maybe like you take the bursts that he played today. And then you maybe add three minutes at the end of the second quarter, and that's it. Like that's his. That should be his full load. Like he's 19 years old. I mean, you think about what Memphis is doing with John Morant right now. I mean, they're trying to keep him at you know 30 or under most nights, anyways. And he's not coming back from. I mean, we don't want to call it a major surgery, um, but a, a knee surgery. You know, a lower body surgery. That has nothing to do with any of the hyperbole that we see in mainstream media regarding Zion Williamson. Just the fact that he's a 19-year-old kid, his first, you know, surgery of significance in his life, um, and his career is just beginning. And we know the NBA rigors are far beyond what he's done before. He'll play even if he only plays, let's say he averages somewhere between 27 and 30 minutes a night from now until the end of the regular season, he's still going to play more minutes than he did at Duke. Like that's, that's a, that's a heavy load for somebody who hasn't had to lift it yet. So 27, 30 minutes a night of, of, of Zion for me is great, especially once you get to the point and we kind of saw that a little bit tonight where the training wheels were a little bit off and he he had that that fifth shift in him, you know, the shift at the end of at the end of the fourth quarter. So 
I'm I'm happy. It seems like, I mean, he played 18, then 21, then 27 tonight. It feels like the Pel- the Pelicans training staff has a plan, and they are set on implementing it. And they are not going to deviate it because of the situation in the game. They're not going to deviate from it because of media pressure or any of that. We are going to do what's best for this franchise and for Zion long term, and that's what what we as fans have been clamoring for from a front office for over a decade. So and yet, <laughs> and yet we're in the same situation, Ali, where that same fan base is saying, well, why does he have to sit these minutes? Why can't he play more minutes? When this medical staff was brought in, everybody was happy. And said, now you've got the best medical training staff in the NBA. You bring in Aaron Nelson, one of the most respected people in all of sports medicine. And yet, the fan base says, who are they to be making these decisions? Who are they to be deciding when Zion comes in and comes out? And yet, at the end of the game today, after all he was done, you could still see that physically, those, the building up of those minutes is necessary because he was, he was, he was done. Those 27 minutes, they got every, they squeezed every bit of 27 minutes out of him today. No, they, they did, David. And it's an easy answer for me. The fan base is, when you look at it as a whole, they're either going to be uninformed on the subject or they're going to choose to be ignorant on it as to where it, it's, for a good analogy, baseball, right? Pitchers limiting their innings, um, any kind of load management. It's all the people that don't believe in that type of science or the results or whatever it may be are, of course, not going to understand this with Zion. But again, I just feel like a lot of people are not informed generally, right? So few people read a story, listen to what's going on. They'll see a headline on Twitter, and that's all the analysis and research they'll do on a topic. I get questions just like you, David, all the time, peppered with stuff that, hey, if you just actually looked into it, you would have gotten your answer. And so you and I, I mean, you especially, you spend your time answering these people. And I honestly don't even want to waste my time. If they can't take, you know, their two seconds worth, get a little bit more informed, understand what's happening, because the answers are out there. Then, you know, I mean, all right, I'm not, I'm not going to keep bashing the fans here. But no, long I mean, story yeah. short, I mean, long story short, though, David, this, this is just, this is, I expected it, number one. Alvin expected it, you know, but he doesn't care. He knows he's doing the right thing. We all understand that. And that's all that matters. Okay, let's wrap with um, the week ahead. It's a very light week, only two games, one at Cleveland on Tuesday and then back home Friday against Memphis. Um, Two winnable games as this team tries to get back to 500. Uh, Also a lot of rest in there for Zion. They get to get get out earlier tonight. They do have a travel day. Um, And then, you know, Tuesday against the Cavs, then two days off until a night game on Friday. Um, so a good week for him to get rest as well. Fish, do you like these matchups for the Pelicans? We just saw Memphis on um, Martin Luther King Day. Have not seen the Cavs yet this season. Uh, a very bad Cavaliers team that seems to be coming apart at the seams. The Cavs game, the Cavs game is one of those games where you will be legitimately disappointed if they find a way to lose it. Um, it should be a game. I, I, Zion should just punish whoever they attempt to guard him with. 
Um, but the Pelicans as a whole, they should win that game. They should win that game going away. That'll be one of the games where, hey, Zion played 24 or 27 minutes a game tonight, and it, it didn't matter because he didn't play the last shift in the fourth quarter because the Pelicans were up 15 or 17 the whole time, and they were holding them at arm's distance. That's what you're hoping for. Um, and then the Memphis game, we're starting to have to think about tiebreakers. Pelicans have three more games against um, Memphis. Two of those games, including Friday, will be at home. And if they can just hold home court in those two games, they have the tiebreaker over Memphis, and that's something that might matter. They have three more games left with the San Antonio Spurs, and those are coming up um, later later on. Um, but th- that's a game that matters. And you're, th- I'm sure, you know, with the, the first pick versus the second pick, which is always a big thing, especially – the first time it happens, there's, there's going to be a lot of lead up, but this is a week, not only, not only those two games, but if you're looking at the teams ahead of the Pelicans um, on Tuesday night, when the Pelicans are playing Cleveland, Memphis is playing Denver. So right now Pelicans are four and a half games back. If they win and the Grizzlies lose, you bump it down to three and a half. And then if you say, hey, you're going to win Friday, I think the, I think the Memphis has like a game against the Knicks on Wednesday as well. Um, but win on Friday, and you could knock it down to three or two and a half games back at Memphis. Like the, the situation can change very quickly. And these are, you don't want to say must-win games, but especially that Memphis game, that could have playoff implications you need to get it. So, and I, I think that's going to be another, it's going to be a challenging matchup for Zion because um, Jaron Jackson Jr. is going to stretch the floor. He is going to try to shoot threes. The Pelicans don't want Derek Favors guarding him. They'd much rather have Derek Favors guarding Valanchunas. So he, he's going to have to have to guard a legitimate stretch four. And while Jaron Jackson doesn't have the girth necessarily to keep Zion off his spot. He does have a lot of length and, and we'll see, you know, this version of Zion, not the preseason version go against, you know, a, a very long potential shot blocker. And how is he going to deal with that? So that these are, these are very important games. I'm really excited for both of them. And it, that's one of the things even before Zion came back, but especially since Zion came back, I'm legitimately looking forward to every single game. And sometimes it was just like, yeah, the Pelicans are on. We'll turn them on. And they're depressing. And that that's not the case even, even the two games before this one that they lost. Like, every game has been exciting and a joy to watch. And I, I, I can't wait for Tuesday. Yeah, and I think the, the main thing is we're, we're maintaining perspective. With the Pelicans, it's when you when you look at the count individually. Yes, the San Antonio loss is frustrating. Individually, yes, losing to Denver is frustrating. Um, but then you also have to put those things. And as we've all done, um, just kind of look at, at the greater context. You're still two and one against Denver this season. And you said you still in the context of the San Antonio, you still have three more games against the Spurs. So that in the context of that series, the Pelicans are not in in a bad place with either one of those teams. Um, so yes. Keeping those things in perspective, there's so much to learn on a game-to-game basis. There's so much to learn on a um, week-to-week basis with this team. I think that's really exciting going ahead. Ali, what are you looking forward to this week? Yeah, you've got to get the Cleveland one, and you hope it's an easy one so they don't overexert themselves because I know they're tired. 
Drew commented today in post game saying, we've been going harder in practice because we're getting Zion back and we want to give him um, the best simulations possible, but they wish they weren't going that hard, right? So you can clearly tell these guys are tired. And I want to throw out there that Ingram may be hurting. You know, we had talked about how he may be hitting a wall, but if we remember, he has fought through a couple of knee injuries this year. And we've been told by, you know, people on the Pelicans that, He's played through a lot where most guys yes. wouldn't play. So that could also be a factor. So either way, you want to see them get that rest against Cleveland. And, of course, you've got to get the Memphis game. Not only it's the tiebreaker implications, you have the chance to give Memphis, who are at the HC right now, three more losses a season. I think there's nothing bigger. Same thing with the Spurs. Three more matchups against them. The Pelicans play four more games before the trade deadline, eight more before the All-Star break. And there's some good matchups coming up. So you want them to be ready. For instance, they've got one with against the Blazers, against the Thunder. That's coming up before the All-Star break. So you want to be ready for them. There's only really one tough one, and the Bucks come into town. They've got one at Houston, but I feel like that's doable. Houston hasn't been playing well. So the schedule is there kind of for the taking. They've got to take advantage. If they truly still have playoffs on their mind, they've, they've got to start making their moves. And like Fish said, you've got to get this Grizzlies one. You've got to get the Spurs one, anything like that. <laughs> Okay, to close, I'm gonna just it's a quick yes or no. Um, since the trade deadline, and we'll, we'll certainly be doing a more in depth um podcast very soon on, on the trade deadline. But uh, a quick yes or no, do you think the Pelicans make a move before the deadline? Fish, yes or no? Yes, I think they make a move. No, I don't think it's a big move. Ollie, yes or no? I'm gonna say no. I don't think that they'll sell anybody. They won't get the price if they are even looking to sell that they want. And in return, they're not going to make any move because they've got enough pieces to evaluate when they're healthy. So, no. All right. Um, I think that just about does it for this. one. We've given you a lot, and there's still so much more to discuss. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll probably just have to do one just completely focused on Zion Williamson and breaking down what he's doing and this trade deadline. So, um, we'll get Kevin back in and get Preston back in and, and be able to do that in depth. But for tonight uh, with the Pelicans getting this big win um, center over the Celtics and uh, on this, the tragic passing of uh, Hall of Famer to be, of course, Kobe Bryant. Uh, we just want to say thanks for listening. Uh, make sure you check us out or wherever you are, rate the podcast as well and check out everything we're doing at thebirdrights.com or Ali Cosell, David Fisher and myself, David Grubb. Um, Y'all have a good night, and let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Calls on the Armchair All-American Network. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.